0: All right, welcome back to the 1-2 Kentucky Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Coach John Spurlock. Today, we're having a second episode talking about the shoulder. On the podcast, I have Josh Walker, who is our athletic trainer for baseball. Bree Papato, athletic trainer for softball. Katie Poole, athletic trainer for volleyball. And my brother from another mother, Coach Ryan DeVrent, who works with our baseball and softball program. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. So, if (laughs) you know, having something like this where we can just talk and hear about what baseball is doing, you know, Bree's thoughts with softball and, you know, start the conversations that Katie and I are gonna have anyways with volleyball. Just kind of knocking out two birds with one stone.
1: I really feel for like the volleyball side though. You know, like for them not playing their sport right now, like yeah they're getting the rest, but I think them not getting the repetition of the sport of volleyball, I think is like, thank God, you know, for us, our teams are in the off season. They don't start until February, you know. Yeah. I can't imagine the volume level so the one thing I was going to ask you guys is like you know Katie last year you were keeping track of the volume like in a game isn't that mm-hmm. right yep so in practice like do you guys keep track of the volume in practice
2: we did a research study with one of the grad students a few years ago who came in and she just looked at like swing counts because I was like should I be worried about volleyball shoulders should I not like I, I know I should be but how much And she wrote a paper on it, and obviously they corresponded with our injury rates. And then it ended up that by, like, the end of the volleyball season, these kids had swung some of them as much as, like, a baseball pitcher does in a baseball season. So our struggle sort of is that it's not like, okay, you know they're going to swing a lot on Friday, and then they're not pitching again until next Friday. It's like, well, you play Sunday, you might have to swing 150 more times. So I think one thing I was just thinking of, Dee, when you said, you were like, they can play catch and I, we'll have to see Spurlock what, you know, in terms of like no balls allowed, whatever. But if we can even program like catch into their summer workouts, especially if Memorial's going to stay closed, mm-hmm. then I think that would at least help with some of that shoulder stuff. Because no that's much. one of the warmups we do in practice. Craig is like obsessed with it is like just kneeling throws. We have a bunch of footballs and yep. they just like throw the football.
0: So one thing I was thinking about as well, if courts are closed, they can't get into Memorial, they can't get on the Joe Craft court, even if yeah. they're able to work out with me. And once again, it's whatever the guidelines are, but if they're able to have a volleyball and have somebody to just hit on another good beyond another turf field, be outside and just play catch play pepper, yeah. whatever, that's at least better than, than nothing.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've had baseball guys come back, to Lexington already, so they could go to the, you know, the park by, what is it, by Lakeside? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Huge park there. Well, there's, you know, five, six of those guys that have come back early because they're like, well, I have a lot of Lake Hedge, uh, yeah. and I think there's more coming back because they don't have an area like that back home, you know, so it's like, well, I might as well, you know, get my arm back into, you know, throwing shape and, and go to the local park. And just yeah
2: that's the so. struggle right now for us is like if they say which we anticipate they will on this meeting that volleyball can come back you know june 22nd we've got like four or five kids whose clubs have opened because they live in like texas and georgia and they're like well whatever do what you want um <laughs> but like do you ask them to come back because on the one hand i think like first and foremost it's most important that they train with spurlock injury prevention wise but from that volleyball piece now you've just taking them out of that equation because they can play in Texas and Georgia and they can't play Uh here. So we're kind of trying to figure out like, what do we recommend to people?
0: Yeah. And it might be different for each person, but the one thing I brought up in another meeting is if they do stay at home. And I think I told you this yesterday, Katie, as well, that they can't start that return to activity protocol that everybody's going to have to go through. So yeah, it's kind of, you know, what's, what's the best thing to recommend? I don't know, what a mess, what a mess, mm-hmm. what a mess
1: We'll be better from it though
0: mm-hmm. no better
1: doubt. At trainers better strength coaches because of the the way that we have to program everything from here on out, you know, yeah, yeah. And I well
2: and I do think like that's like one of the goals for Spurlock and I is, like admittedly, our shoulder screening for our team is not really very good, um, and so it's like I'm excited about that because. I've put some time into thinking about it during the quarantine and because we have to go so slow when they do come back, I'm like, all right, like no excuse. I finally can sit down and actually like implement some of this stuff. And
0: that was yeah, something I we talked about as a staff with that. is that I know people have been saying it, but you get a reset. And if mm-hmm. there's something that we need to uh, look at, whether it's, you know, a screening process um, shoulder health program we've even talked about our new athlete orientation program what that looks like it, you get to hit a reset because you you, you will have that time and be, be able to progress them as needed and not try And I, I've expressed this to D and the rest of the staff but sometimes I think of Leah Meyer when she got on campus I was like she'll figure it out throw her in day one see how it goes <laughs> and she did great thank goodness but that's, that's probably not the best route to go, but I always feel like there's some sort of pressure. And a lot of times I put it on myself to get them um, orient, oriented with our program and get moving with the rest of the team.
1: Yeah. That's one thing that yeah. Lawson asked about the other day was, well, how long do you see the orientation process taking when the new girls come back? I was like, well, we've been talking about that as a staff. We're trying to break that down, but we're, it's looking like it's going to be 16 sessions. You know, so it's going to take a little, little long, but it's what we used to go through. And she texted me back and was like, you guys are finally evolving. I said, shit, we're always evolving, you know, but um, I'm proud of her because she's so bought into backing us up as a staff. And if we say it's mm-hmm. 60 questions, okay, then that's what they said. It isn't just a backlash. Kind of so, talking
0: about what i said about coaches' buy-in and, you know, Anders working out with us, you guys working out with us, Golda Boers. Like, Lawson's the one that has always been bought in, and I have never seen her <laughs> work out in the however many years she's been at Kentucky. Well, we'll hop into this conversation. I'm excited uh, to kind of continue this. So even as we did that first podcast talking about the shoulder – I think D and I stayed on an extra few minutes. I think we all did after we stopped recording and we just kept the conversation going, which just made me make a note saying, hey, we've left a lot on the table that we can come back and talk about the shoulder even more. Uh, So just a quick recap, we got Katie Poole from volleyball, Brie Papato softball, Josh Walker baseball, and then coach Ryan DeVrent, who works with softball and baseball, Um, And then as most of you know, my two teams are uh, women's basketball and volleyball. So in the last conversation, we talked a lot about what athletic training does in the training room, on field, before practice, post practice. And then we got a couple other topics we can touch on. Uh, First one I want to hit on from the baseball side is movement assessment. What do you guys do? Uh, when either you have a new baseball player that comes in as a freshman or something you do on a yearly or semester basis, what does that movement assessment look like?
1: Josh, I'll have you go ahead and go into that conversation just from the athletic training
3: side. Yeah. So, I mean, as soon as I got here, that's always been something that's been very important to me. It's like, Hey, how can we assess these guys at the beginning? um, And just find a, a better way for us to see if there's any risk categories for them. So Um, Dr. Tim Wool, who works with SMRI here on campus, um, phenomenal researcher of the shoulder there, kind of helped develop an assessment with me and Rob Slowick, my GA, as far as what we should be looking for. Um, So we did range of motion assessments, you know, your your traditional goniometer assessments, looking at shoulder internal, external rotation, um, horizontal adduction, uh, shoulder flexion, and then, you know, a forearm tightness assessment, basically the same way. We did a handheld dynamometer strength assessment, um, looking at all those measures again, but from a strength. How can we compare their non-dominant arm to their dominant arm? Um, Something that's very big for me is hip range of motion. So, same way, we're looking at hip internal external rotation, and then a uh, a trunk rotation assessment. So, just kind of compiling all that information together, um, looking at are there any deficits you know that are just absolutely red flags off the table there um so we try to do that coming in for returners and uh new guys at the same time you know early in the semester in the fall um and then do it again probably mid fall ball um so somewhere mid-october and again at the end of the semester um and then in the spring as well three times is kind of our our goal to do obviously this year was messed up a little bit um, due to the virus and all but Um, You know, our hope is always if there's anything we can catch early on, it can prevent these long-lasting baseball injuries. Because as we know, like Tommy John, things like that, I mean, that's a a full year plus of rehab. So if there's anything we can notice, and obviously you can't prevent these things all the way together, um, but, you know, those things that we notice hopefully can help us um, prevent injuries in the long term.
0: So based on – the data you guys get from the assessment, and like Josh mentioned, it's just not the shoulder, it's t- looking at the forearm, hips, T spine, uh, kind of a whole body approach. D, what are some of the exercises you prescribe, either as correctives or to help with uh, strength deficits or range of motion um, well, issues? One
1: thing that um, you know, I know our staff has discussed is uh, the whole FRC program. Um, but that's a lot of conversations that I've had with Josh and Rob, uh, from the standpoint of, of being able to have functional range of motion, um, in all parts of the body. So, uh, little things from, you know, your, your cars that I'll take the guys through at the end of their workouts. Um, I've found is the best way of implementing, you know, um, exercises into, to, you know, getting the range of motion a little bit more than where it is. Now, if a guy is good, we usually just keep it the way we do and, and stay with, you know, the way our workout is laid out from, you know, their, their prehab at the beginning of the workout. Um, and they don't have to do as much, you know, post work as the other guys need to. Uh, but one thing that we were finding out is, you know, with us changing our lift time from 11, you know, to 1130 and only have an hour before they go to class is how do we fit all that in and, and for all the people out there that are using the frc kind of program it takes a lot of time you know away from your designated lift time uh so just having the conversation with josh and rob i was like what about us just putting something together and then have a designated time for you got those guys to come into the the training room and go through a series of you know pails rails cars um with those guys so it's not taking away a ton of my time in the strength conditioning area. Um, and they've done a phenomenal job with that. We're in constant communication of, you know, when we retest, like how much improvement that we've gotten from, you know, the shoulders and hips with our pitchers. Uh, when we started with the pitchers only, and then now we've progressed um, into our positional players as well.
0: So, so with the cars um, and FRC, I know very little about it what is that something you're doing post lift or post practice is it something that can be incorporated into a warm-up what what are your thoughts with that d i usually put it in
1: post um but for josh i think that those guys you know are mainly doing that stuff pre practice uh where they're able to knock it out you know when you're restricted on your time um it it doesn't really matter is the conversations that i've had with people it's fine if you do it pre or post um it just depends on the degree you know like uh they they always say if you are you know you have a big upper body day um you you don't want to try to do like your shoulder cars but you could do your your hip cars or stuff like and stuff like that so you kind of just want to offset it if you're doing upper body then you do lower half um functional range of motion Um, if you do, you know, a lower half then you're doing your upper half range of motion. So that's kind of how I break down, um, just from the weight room standpoint. But again, like I used to do it probably two years ago, just a little bit trying to implement a little bit into the program. But now that we have it more of an individual basis, um, and, and throwing that into the training room aspect, it's worked out way better with our range of motion.
0: Awesome. Very good insight. Uh, Next thing I want to touch on is just exercise um, selection. So one thing, it's evident, but I do feel like people see overhead athletes as just one category. Where the sport of volleyball, like we talked about in the last podcast, is very different than softball, which is different than baseball, which is different than tennis, which is different than swimming. Um, So Dee, I'll start with you, and then we can kind of move into the athletic training side, side of it. But from exercise prescription. Maybe give your thoughts with, you know, what you have, your baseball pitchers, how that's different than the positional players and how that's different, uh, for what you might program and the exercises you select for softball.
1: Um, so the difference just between baseball and softball, we're, we're doing a little bit more Olympic lifting, um, from cleans, uh, the one exercise that I don't do. Um, if I do do it, it's snatch with the girls, but you know, that was probably a couple of years back. I'm, I'm looking at, into snatches, more of a dynamic effort instead of a, a heavier load, just because of how technical the lift is. Um, so the differences there is I'm getting more power development out of my, out of my baseball players through, you know, their trap bar deadlifts with, um, clean pulls, um, just using the trap bar. Uh, I'm doing the same thing with softball, but we're getting more power development out of our cleans. Um, the, the only difference, like I'll, I'll, Bench press with my softball players, and then do the same with my positional players for baseball. For pitchers, we'll do light dumbbell bench, but push ups are a big part of my program just because it hits the entire body. Um, and that's something that I implemented into softball this past year a ton. You know, I think our girls are getting so tired of push ups, but they don't realize how important push ups are into a program. Um, so when we get to end season with softball, we're we're doing dumbbell bench with our pitchers instead of barbell bench um, because of the fixed position and how much uh, you know volume they're they're having put on their arms from throwing throughout the season. Um, we found that that's worked out great since I've taken over and helped with Coach Lawson since 2013, um, and I know that she asked Coach Tracy to do that as well when she was running the program. Um, so that's kind of the the difference between baseball and softball. On the baseball side, um, I'm doing a lot of uh, safety bar squats, front squats with my pitchers um, and not loading the spine as much just because I don't want to put them in a fixed position or get them in an external rotation with a barbell on their back. So that's one thing that I've found out is we started having some shoulder impingement just because some of those guys' range of motion wasn't very good.
0: Um, So that's kind of when I went
1: to the safety bar and the, the front squat.
0: But so you're now, talking about uh, shoulder impingement when they're in that back squat position. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: so that's probably the two biggest differences is what we dumbbell bench pushups with the pitchers. Um, we'll bench press, um, do a little bit of back squat. We do a lot more front squat now with our positional players. I try to, you know, instead of having two separate groups, I try to make it the same. So we do a lot of front squat for about eight weeks. And then if we go into safety bar squat with our pitchers, Um, I'll back squat our positional players during that time. And and thank God I have the interns that I have that assist with me or else I I would have to make it, you know, a whole approach where everybody in the weight room is going to front squat or everybody in the weight room is going to have to back squat. But at the end of the day, you have to look out for your pitchers. So those are probably the main differences that I have between the two.
0: Excellent. And just like I mentioned before we started this part of the conversation, you got to tackle each sport differently. So even though baseball and softball are very similar, you can see uh, the differences that D throws in there. For volleyball, when I'm thinking about our power production in the Olympic lifts that we use, um, hang clean, power clean, uh, hang snatch, power snatch, uh, we jerk overhead quite a bit as well. Um, and there are Certain situations, and Katie, I'm thinking of somebody like Cass Brown who came in with a shoulder injury where, and I couldn't remember as I was prepping for this episode, but it was either jerk or snatch. It was one of the two that uh, gave her a ton of issues, so we avoided it. I want to say it was snatch, being in that wide snatch, grip position. Yeah. yeah, but she still jerked overhead and never had any issues with that. She was yeah. also one of our uh, strongest bench pressers on the team on top of that. And bench press isn't uh, an exercise i do a ton with our volleyball team in terms of barbell bench press i think i added it up one year that throughout an entire year january to the end of the season in december we bench pressed somewhere between 25 and uh, 30 times we will do dumbbell bench press single arm um dumbbell bench press but in terms of the olympic lifts we hit it hard on cleans, snatches, uh, and uh, combo lifts like a clean and clean and jerk. Um, there are sometimes, and this kind of next thing I want to get into, where we had somebody that developed a shoulder issue, especially during the season when the volume's high. And I'm thinking of somebody like a Brooke Morgan, who, uh, you know, during the season when she was playing a lot, her, her shoulder was fatigued. She started getting a little pain, so we wouldn't go overhead with her. So we would have her do land uh, landmine presses or landmine push press or jerk. Um, do you kind of talk with me your thought with using landmines for your baseball and softball players and maybe even the progression you go through?
1: Uh, so with that, um, I like to start from like a kneeling position, um, like a half kneeling kneeling. You see a lot of hyperextension in the back um, with positioning. So the positioning is so important when you, you you start getting into Um, your random mind presses. So that's why I like to do more of a um, half kneeling. Um, From there, uh, I usually go into uh, standing um, as long as the posture is really good. Um, If I feel like the posture is not good, like from the half kneeling, then I just kind of regress. And my regression, you know, I'll use a lot of my anti-rotational presses, um, using the band uh, to to understand body positioning and, and core stability um, and shoulder stability as well. And once I feel like, you know, after we've regressed them from that, you know, cause not everybody's going to be in the same area. Uh, then I, you know, I go through my progression of half kneeling to standing with the landmine presses. Um, the biggest thing that I've found out is after you get into your standing and you start getting a little bit more rotational stuff into your landmines, um, you, that's where you can, you, you lose a lot of posture throughout the core and, and just positioning of the back and the shoulders. Um, so that's something that I pay attention to a lot. I tell the interns constantly, like, you know, the pattern that everybody is moving in is super, super important. It, it isn't like, oh, you know, we need to go heavy. We are very, very light. We just start with the barbell first, um, you know, for kneeling and then standing and then I'll take it back down and then start loading again and go half kneeling, standing again. Um, so it's kind of a, a progression regression, uh, deal that I use based off of the load.
0: Kind of moving into the athletic training room, Bree, we'll talk, start with you. Um, kind of want to go two directions with this, but do you have some sort of progression that you have the softball players go through in terms of shoulder prehab or rehab that's kind of a staple in you know how you get things done? Then if you can also touch on, and I think we mentioned it a little bit in our last shoulder podcast, but since our players have been at home what have you been sending them or what have they been doing in terms of shoulder health?
4: So I think first to touch on like kind of what we do as far as shoulder prehab and exercises for softball in the athletic training room, it kind of depends on, well, it depends on the athlete. So, you know, if they come in and they've had shoulder issues before, I think that's definitely something that we take into consideration. So if they've come in, I'll usually ask them, you know, have you had any issues before? If you've had issues, what have you done for that? What's worked for you? Because I think one of the biggest things that we have to take into consideration is the athlete buy-in. So if they have done something that's always worked and this is what they want to stick with, it's, okay, let's see how we can incorporate that into what we want to do here. So we don't, want to give them a just a general here this is what you've got we want to make sure that they're going to buy into it because that's going to they're going to want to do it at that point too so I um, tend to stick with things that are also going to be I, I hate to say quick and because you don't want you want to make sure that they're taking their time and doing these things correctly but you know that they're not gonna they're going to have a maybe 10 minute window to come into the athletic training room to do these exercises on any given day too. So you want to make sure you're doing exercises. that are going to be the most bang for your buck. So um, in that sense, it's a lot of band work. I know we talked about that a lot on the last podcast, um, but our band work is probably one of the biggest things that we go to. Um, And then I think something that D kind of touched about, talked about a lot too was the core. So we can't forget about the core when we're talking about shoulders. Um, I think the power development and just how important the core is and throwing any kind of core exercise into a shoulder program is super important. Um, And I think that stability is really key in keeping our shoulders healthy. So that's also one big thing that we've worked on now that they've been home. So keeping, I mean, it's kind of easy. We can keep them pretty safe right now because most of them don't have access to, uh, you know, lifting equipment or any kind of gyms or anything like that. So keeping body weight, we've done tons of pushups, um, and always focusing on that core strength. I give them, you know, finishing with a core exercise at the end of their lift or their workout or whatever they're doing is always, always something that we really focus on.
0: Ooh, cool. Um, One thing what you that gonna, I added, what you got I was what just going to bring
1: up to off of uh, what Bria had said. One thing that I've added in for the last month is we put our iron scap sheet together um, as a staff. So I I just attached that to their their workouts um, for this past four week template. And since softball got all their bands, we're able to um, use that iron scap to the fullest ability that we can. And what I tell them is like, hey. Uh, pick three this week pick three the next week that are different and once you get done through that you know that series of movements on iron scap then go back up to the top and then we'll increase our our reps after that so that's something that we've done with the girls for the past
0: four weeks and that's something that uh, when you and I forget who else maybe it was BMAC brought that to our strength staff and then us forwarding it along to athletic trainers as well, I think it's been a huge help for me to have um, the visual right in front of me that I can keep on my clipboard. Um, so even if I program something and I forget what I what the movement is, I can just reference that sheet real quick. The talk through with that iron Scap sheet, let's take this pandemic out of it. What is your thought process as you are choosing those exercises? Because you're not doing I don't know how many are are on there. Let's say it's 15. You're not doing all 15 iron scap exercises. Um, after each workout you're picking and choosing and you're, you're very intentional with what you're programming.
1: Yeah. And you know, not knowing if the guys or girls have any dumbbells or or light weights that they can use for their shoulder prehab. I had to think of, you know, a, a way to keep our shoulders healthy, which, you know, um, So that iron scap, after I thought about it, I was like, okay, we've been out for about 10 weeks now. So my last four-week template, I said, I got to put this in. So when when you have 15 to 20 exercises on that sheet, um, I said, well, how do I get all planes of motion throughout the shoulder? So I said, okay, this week you're going to, I started choosing. Um, These are the three that you're going to do. The next week, these are the three that you're going to do. Then so they're just evolving and getting the same you know ranges of motion and planes for four weeks and then when we get done with that we just go right back to the top and, and we go through it and then if I need to increase the reps I will uh, but I, they seem to like that uh, just because you know can we do ABCs we can but you know I started doing that at the beginning with no weight um, can we do and L's? yeah but when you go five six weeks after that you want to start loading that um, so I said. To be able to get you know some scapular movement through using the bands now that's why i added that in for the last four weeks
0: one thing we have um, after we get done recording this podcast everybody from our athletic Devo- development and performance unit we have a meeting um, later this morning talking about the return to activity for student athletes when they are allowed back on campus um, but I'll kind of start with Katie Poole with this part of it. I'm really worried about our volleyball's, uh, our players' jump count. So just making sure that when they do get back on campus, we're progressing them in a, a proper manner in terms of how much uh, I'm jumping them, which is reflective of what I'm programming for them now at the, for their at-home workouts. When it comes to the shoulder. I know a lot of them have been able they they live in states where maybe the guidelines and restrictions are a little bit looser than what we have at kentucky and they've been able to get into a gym and get serves and have somebody to play pepper with Um, what is your thought process with re-acclimating their shoulders to the amount of volume that will hit them when they actually start playing volleyball again
2: yeah that's a really good question um i think sort of if there is a silver lining of this whole pandemic, it's been that this is probably the longest any of them have gone without touching a volleyball. Um and most of them, even if they have lived in states where things have started to reopen sooner, they still sort of had that initial four to six week period where they weren't doing anything. Even if they had a volleyball, they didn't have anybody who was skilled enough to play with them. You know, their dad could like throw it at them. But um so I think kind of like Josh said, you almost have to start from the beginning and just sort of reassess what's everybody's range of motion coming in. Um, You know, do we look at their strengths um, and maybe figure out a way to try and measure those and quantify those um, and sort of just starting with a baseline. For us, um, I think really taking advantage of the fact that when they come, they still initially won't be able to or have access to play volleyball Um, from a lot of different standpoints from we want to transition them safely back into having a baseline fitness level from the fact that the facilities won't be open there are a lot of reasons that they won't have access to that Um, and so for us really making sure that we utilize that time frame to get sort of okay baseline where's everybody coming in now that we haven't seen you in two almost three months and how do we program throughout the summer because typically throughout the summer most of our team is in town, they're working out. It's a break from their shoulder to an extent. And then we hit July and Brino's because we have, she's our camp coordinator, but we have volleyball camp, I would say 80% of the days of July. And so they're playing a ton in the month of July, which on the one hand can sort of be a shock to their system. On the other hand, has always really helped us from a shoulder standpoint transition into August preseason. Um, so I think that's something that we're going to have to look at is this July then how do we start to progressively load their shoulders in the same way you're talking about jump count? um, We, we look at like a swing count or like similar to how you would look at a pitch count um, and sort of go from there.
0: I think that's one thing what Katie mentioned um, at the beginning was this is, and you have to look at it as a positive with, you know, most of our student athletes, not just volleyball, not just softball, not just basketball or baseball, that they have been playing their sport since they were, I don't know, eight, and have never had an off season. So if there's any positive that comes out of this, the situation that we're in, it's their body has been able to get so much more uh, rejuvenated, recovered, whatever you wanna call it, in the time that they've had to spend away from campus, away from their team, uh, away from their sport. And, you know, obviously we'll have to reacclimate everybody in the proper way and progress things accordingly. But um, this is, I see it as more as a blessing in the su- disguise when it comes to our student athletes and just the stress being taken off their body from, you know, them never having an off season since they were eight years old. One thing I wanted to ask uh, Josh and Dee is from the baseball movement assessment, you guys already had something in place that you've been doing for a while. With the situation that we're in now, the return to, return to activity protocol, do you see your, your guys' assessment changing any based off our situation, or do you just playing the rock and roll like normal?
3: You know, from the upper body assessment, I don't see much change in what we're doing as far as the range of motion and strength part of it there. Um, you know, kind of jumping into the the last question there for a second though. I think the biggest thing as well is coach buy-in. You know, like how do we get our sports coaches to completely buy into what we're doing? You know, and you know, I, from the baseball side, like we're blessed with that. You know, Coach Minge is always really good about hey, you know, present your plan and then we can go forward with that. You know, the understanding of hey, you know, this thing may look a little slower on the front end as far as getting our athletes back to play. Um, I, I think it's going to be which we have to do is definitely, you know, get our coaches to understand that, Hey, it may be slower, but this is for injury prevention and having the most available players ready to go, you know, late in seasons. So, and, um, you know, Katie, kind of, you, know, you know, I know you're in a different boat there because you're a fall sport. Like you got to have your girls ready to go, you know, mid August, you know, into late August for, for season. Bree, we got a little more time, obviously, but, Um, I know the fall season for y'all is like the fall season for us Um, you know that it's become a a beast of its own now you know the amount of games or inner squads being played um, so that's always an interesting dynamic but um, you know just coach buy-in is definitely very important but back to your other question Um, I I think that that my assessment on my end won't change much Um, the adherence to Red flags, and you know what we need to do with guys that are just off the board may change. We may need to, you know, more slowly progress them than maybe we have in the past. Because hey, you know, this person is much more susceptible to injury. You know, in the past they've done some throwing in the past. You know, to build up to that, and we have an assumption that they've done, you know, either through summer ball or or through the previous season, they've done a good bit to be ready. Um, But with the gray area we're in now, and not really knowing how much they've done to build into it, it may need to be a longer building phase to get them back to full activity at that point.
0: Absolutely. D you got anything you want to add to that? Uh, going
1: off of what Joss said, you know, like we don't know what they're doing right now with the throwing program. Like, you know, yeah, we have a throwing program form, and Coach Rosellis sent that stuff out, but I think the assessment piece, we can be a little bit more patient with it, but I think. On the coach's end, they have to be patient on their end just from um, the overuse is it, we're going to see things pop up in the first week, you know, by just playing catch. Um, so I think us doing, you know, an assessment at the beginning and then halfway through fall ball, I think, you know, possibly this might be the time that, you know, for the first or for the fall semester, we, we possibly have to go once a month just to do a reassessment once a month with our guys, with the pitchers. I think the positional guys, um, a lot of that's going just going to be, you know, they're doing a lot more running, um, just sprinting work. So I think the assessment there is going to be like, okay, are we getting enough posterior chain work when our guys come back? Um, but off of the shoulders with, with our guys, I think it, a lot of it has to do with the workload that's being thrown from the coaches and, and what they're doing playing catch wise.
0: One thing I want to go back to that Josh mentioned was coach buy-in and whether, you know, everybody's in a different situation. Maybe you're a new strength coach at a new university. Uh, You're trying to get the sport coaches bought into what you're doing. Maybe not from a shoulder program standpoint. Maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's a a movement assessment that you want to start implementing. Maybe it's, Hey, you really want to do Olympic lifts in the weight room, but the coaches are hesitant. Uh, And D, I'll kind of start with you is, you know, what advice would you give maybe a young strength coach that is trying to get some sort of buy-in from their sport coach? And you don't, I don't think you need to be specific, but just like what, like whether it's in the weight room, a shoulder program, a movement assessment, what advice would you give somebody?
1: I think being able to back up, you know, the why and what you do. um, I think that's the best advice you can give to a young strength coach. That's becoming, you know, Somebody that's gonna work with baseball, softball, volleyball, sports like that that are overhead sports, is you better have the knowledge of, of knowing what you're doing and telling them the why and what you're doing. Um, so, you know, we're the ones that are certified in, in, you know, strength coaches. You know, the coaches are not. Some coaches are out there, like, you know, you got track coaches, but um, we're the experts in that area. It's not like we're the ones stepping on any coaches' feet when it comes to sports specific stuff. Um, so I think sitting down, having that conversation at the beginning of the year uh, with your coaches and laying out, hey, this is the way my the, my program is laid out for shoulder rehab, rehab, all of it, um, and, and telling them the why behind it, I think is the most important part.
0: I think, yeah, that why just helps educate them. So, and you know, one thing, you know, when you're talking about buy-in and kind of getting outside of just the sport coach. If you educate your sport coach, if you educate your athletic trainers, if you educate your, um, your athletes, your student athletes about why you're doing what you're doing, I think that helps out a ton. And I think one thing, and I mentioned it the last time or in a previous podcast, that Katie Poole, Bree Papato used to work out with us uh, back in the day when we were running our uh, 11 a.m. CrossFit uh, gig. So they we got to teach them how to do snatches, how to do cleans. Uh, They got to really feel how our our um, our 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 movements that we prescribe, how they feel the day after, what a heavy back squat feels like. Um, But uh, even on top of that, we've had Golda Boers, who's our women's golf uh, head coach, that has trained with us. Um, Anders Nelson from volleyball. Um, Anders was a previous D one athlete, but you know him just being reconnected to the weight room and understanding that you know being six foot whatever getting a barbell overhead what that feels like and I I can remember Anders expressing some concern to me back in the day being like you know what hang snatch for our team I just don't feel really comfortable with that just because he's a taller person and that's a long way for that barbell to go up and it's an even longer uh, route for it to fall down. Uh, so me educating Anders on why we're doing this. Uh, and like Dee mentioned before, you know, snatch is really an exercise that we're trying to move the barbell as fast as we can. So it's more dynamic effort instead of max effort. Um, and I'm trying to think of other, like Johan Sedergren with men's soccer works out in utter weight room. Uh, typically when we're having our staff workouts, uh, Tim Garrison with gymnastics, I really think uh, a turning point for him was when he started training with Dee and um, being really consistent with it. And not only do I think that helped with his buy-in, but his, his gymnast knew that he was coming in and working out and helped with their buy-in with the weight room as well. So it's, I, long story short, I think it's that, it's that just like D said, uh, having your why and then communicating that to your, you, the people that you surround yourself with, whether it's another member of your performance staff or the head coach. Uh, I think can I add a little
2: something to that
0: just another sort of strategy
2: that we've used because I I agree I think the best thing is to do exactly what Dee is saying is like be able to back it up with research and explain um, why you're doing what you're doing another thing that I think can be really helpful is not only get as much information from research as you can but also get as much information as to what other programs around you are doing and if you can pinpoint a program that you know your coach really respects and values and you know like, okay, well I know that they do this. You can not only research that method, but kind of use that to your advantage as well and say, hey, I know that we have been ch- talking about changing our warm-up or adding in some extra stuff. Um, I talked to so-and-so who works at this program, they implemented, they found that it's worked really well for them whether that's like a USA baseball thing or even if you know the people that work there or not, if you can, most people are happy to help. Um, So if you just reach out to whoever you can find that is connected to that organization and be like, Hey, I'd love to pick your brain about this. Um, I think if you can use other people in the industry, that can sometimes help you from the coaching standpoint of like, Oh, well they've won a lot. And if they are doing that, then maybe we really should take a look at it.
0: Absolutely.
1: That's, you know, from the baseball side, our coaches, the, they look at the standards of the MLB. So as much research as that we can come back or advice that we can get from the athletic trainers and the strength coaches in the big leagues, the better off our coaches are going to be bought in. You know, so that's a really good point to bring up, Katie.
0: And I think that's that's great advice that um, I don't think many people think about to do on the front end. And it's I hear it all the time, especially with... Um, our sport coaches and maybe a new school wins the conference championship or a national championship. They'll often say like, Oh, why don't you go talk to so-and-so at X university and see what they're doing. But if you have the foresight to do that on the front end, I think that just even helps more with your your, being able to get the buy-in from your coaches because they know that you're already thinking about those things. So guys, I think this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, I really like what we got into at the end uh, with getting the coach buy-in and hopefully uh, our dozens of listeners uh, get something um, from that conversation. But I appreciate you guys being on today. Uh, We got to hop off here and go attend another meeting, but thank you for listening and go cats.